Well, let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, we're continuing our journey uh, through uh, the book of Philippians in a number of little small series. This morning, we're continuing our series called Together We. And Paul is writing to this uh, church in Philippi who is experiencing some suffering because of their faith. And he's encouraging them to, to persevere and to walk in unity and continue in the faith. Uh, and is reminding them that they're they're together, that they, they're not in this alone, that they have this beautiful gift called the local church and that they're on this journey with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what we've been reminded of. And this morning, what I wanna talk about is discipleship. Our journey together as followers of Jesus in the area of our personal discipleship, growing in Christ. I wanna give you a definition of discipleship that I think will be helpful uh, so that we know what we're talking about when we're thinking this word discipleship. Let me give you this definition. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. How many of you want that in your life? Amen? So here's the next phrase that helps us understand it. The Christian life is the journey of being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. This is what discipleship is. It's this process of becoming more like Jesus. Why? Because the Christian life is a journey of, of being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. Now, let me just say this. The two words... And both of these statements that are most crucial is the word process, everybody say process, and the word journey, everybody say journey. And here's why. There are no disciples that are made in a microwave. Like the journey of discipleship is that, it is a journey. The process of discipleship is just that, it is a process. So many times we want a quick fix in our culture and we wanna microwave our spirituality so that we get further faster and the truth is, is that that's not a reality. Discipleship is a journey and it's a process. Now let me just illustrate that by getting your help just for a moment. How many of you that are followers of Jesus in this room would just confess with, by lifting your hand that you wish you were more like Jesus than you are currently. Raise your hand, that's you. Look around the room, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't understand the question, all right? So, so look around the room, you'll see everybody's kind of in this. Now, let me talk to a different group of people. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I've been a Christian for at least 10 years or longer? If you've been a Christian for at least 10 years or longer, raise your hand. All right, so look around the room, all right? Now put your hands down. I wanna talk to those of you who just raised your hand who've been a Christian for 10 years or longer. How many of you would also raise your hand if you're in that category and would say, I thought after 10 years or more, I would be further along in the journey than I actually am? Raise your hand. I think the same group just raised their hand twice, right? Some of y'all gotta put two hands up on that one. You know, so and here, here's why that's so important. I want us to understand just that confession alone says, this is a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. Every one of us says, I wish I was more like Jesus than I actually am. And then e even those of us, like I've been saved for almost 30 years. And I truly thought if you were to talk to 30 years ago, Todd Connitz, who just gave his life to Christ and ask him about today's Todd Connitz, he would probably have described me much different than I actually am. He would probably make some assumptions that I'm over some things that I'm not quite over, that I've gotten past some things that I'm not quite past. He would never recognize the journey that's still in, in process. And so I want us to breathe this morning. If you're disappointed in where you are, here's the, the good news for you. It's a journey. It's a process. You're not done. Amen? But, but here's also what I want you to understand is that you don't have to stay where you are. It is still a process, and you've got to work the process. It is still a journey, and you've got to continue walking in the journey. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Philippians, Philippians chapter two. Uh, if you're there, say the Bible is true. 
So listen to what Paul says about this, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, here's the question. What is Paul talking about in verse number 12 when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? What does he mean here? Work out your own salvation. I want to tell you what he doesn't mean. He is not telling us here that we got to work for our salvation. Our salvation has been completely accomplished by Jesus on the cross, and our faith response means that we received salvation. So the question then is, what is he talking about when he says, work out your own salvation? Here's what I believe Paul is talking about. I believe this is a reference to discipleship. This is a reference to the continued progress that we have in Christ. It's the working out of our salvation. Another word we use in in theological terms is the word sanctification. Uh, The word sanctification simply means this. Now, follow this. Sanctification is the process of you learning how to implement the salvation that you already have. That's what sanctification is. It's the process of you implementing, or the Holy Spirit rather, implementing the salvation that you already have. And that's what Paul is referring to here. This this process or journey of discipleship is about you learning how to implement through the power of the Holy Spirit, the salvation that you've already received. So there is the receiving of salvation where I am saved and secure forever. And then there's this outworking of salvation where now I'm participating with it and I'm learning how to implement that into my life so that I begin to the journey of looking more and more like Jesus, knowing one day it's going to be completed when I reach eternity, right? Amen? So Paul is saying, look, the Christian life is about working out what you've already received and learning how to live this new life that you've been given in Christ. And it's not automatic, right? We know this. If you have kids, you know this. I've got, you know, three children. I've got Micah who is going into seventh grade. I've got Noah going into 10th grade and, and McKenna who's going into your senior year. Now my two girls, uh, they're, they're a lot different from one another, but they're not just a lot different because of their personalities. They're a lot different because of their age gap. So like there's conversations that I'm going to have with my seventh grader that I'm not necessarily going to have to have with my 12th grader. But there's also conversations that I'm gonna have with my 12th grader that my seventh grader is not ready to have yet, right? And so in a, as a parent, I've gotta recognize that, that, that they're, they're on a journey, but they're on the journey at two different places. So there's gonna be a level of expectation for my seventh grader that, that's gonna look very different than for my, for my 12th grader. Why? Because they're on the journey of life, but they're just in two different places in their spiritual development. So hopefully they're moving toward adulthood. Hopefully they're moving toward adulthood. But, but as they make that journey, my job is to identify where they are and help them take the next steps on the journey. And listen, that's what Jesus wants to do in our life. He wants to meet you where you are, whatever, wherever you are on the journey of discipleship. And he wants just to help you get to that next step, recognizing that, listen, we're not all in the same place. And one thing that we've got to, uh, I got to say, I've got to make it sure it's clear, in, in the physical world and emotional, you know, physical growth, as my daughters are two different places because of their age. Listen, age does not necessarily prove in the spiritual terms maturity. Here's, here's what I mean. I, I've, there's a lot of believers who've been, been believers for 30 or 40 years who are still seventh graders in the faith. 
They've been in this thing a long time, but they're not growing like they need to be growing. I also know some people have been saved for like four years and they're like 40 in the faith. I mean, they have accelerated in their spiritual maturity. And so what you need to do is find out where are you, why are you there, and how do we continue this path forward, amen? So here's what I wanna do. I wanna show you three components Paul gives us here that will help accelerate your discipleship. It'll accelerate your spiritual journey in your pursuit for Jesus. So write these down if you're taking notes. Here's number one, write this down. The first component Paul gives us is this, is that if we wanna grow spiritually, we need to consistently obey God's word. We need to consistently obey God's word. And I use the word consistently because, eyes right here just for a second, unless you're taking notes because you're more spiritual, you don't have to look up, all right? Um, I'm just joking. Uh, Consistently uh, is important because your life is not defined by one or two acts of obedience or one or two acts of failure. Discipleship is about looking at the consistency of growth in your life and and the obedience you have so consistently obey God's word. Let me show you in the text here. Uh, Verse uh, number 12 again, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I love this. Paul loves the church at Philippi. Like he is, he is very fond of them. He, they've given him a gift in his time of need. He, he sees their spiritual maturity. He loves what he sees when he sees this church. And he's encouraging them in their discipleship journey, commanding them, work out your own salvation. But I love this. He does something here that I think is important for us to note. He gives them both an affirmation and an exhortation. Here's what I mean. He affirms them, first of all, in where they've been on their journey, and then he exhorts them to continue the journey. Look what he says. He was, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So out of the gate, Paul wants them to be encouraged. He's like, I see the spiritual progress in your life. Like he's telling them from the moment you gave your life to Jesus, the moment that Christ was formed in your heart, there was this understanding of obedience. You understood the lordship of Christ. He's not saying that this church was perfect because no one is perfect. But what he is saying is, is that you've got a track record of obedience and he's affirming this. He says, listen, you blow my mind. When I think about you, you've always just understood that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you are to submit to him and you obey his word. And I've watched your life and how you have proven consistent obedience as you've grown. So he gives them this affirmation, but he says, listen, you don't need to settle. He turns and says, now I'm gonna give you an exhortation. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now listen to what he's saying here. He says, I want to affirm you. You've done so good. Like you, you've obeyed Christ. I've seen this from the moment you gave your life to Jesus. You obey him. You understand his lordship. And I'm so incredibly proud of you. And then he reminds them, but God is not done. Continue to obey. In fact, obey all the more. Don't just settle for the obedience you've had in the past. You need to continue this progress. It's really easy, believer, if we're not careful for us to be on this journey of walking with Jesus and then all of a sudden we seem like we overcome a few obstacles and we overcome a few sin issues in our life and then we just settle in this comfort place where we no longer pursue the greater things. We're no longer walking in deeper obedience. And here's what Paul says, I'm proud of you. You've always walked in obedience, but God's not done. So obey all the more. So a hard question for you this morning you might wanna wrestle is with is this, is that if you've been on this journey where you've been becoming more like Christ, what's the the question you need to be asking is this, is that what are the one or two things right now that I know that I'm not obedient in that I need to be obedient in? Don't just look at the things you are obedient in, 
What are the areas that you're not? Like all the more. Now, and I love how he frames this. Don't, don't miss what he says here. He says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is saying to them, look, your obedience should not just be when people are watching and looking. What you do in secret is the real you. Your obedience when no one is around is more of a testimony of where you are spiritually than what you do when people are watching. It's really easy when people are around in the presence to walk in obedience. It's a whole other thing in a commitment to Jesus is that when, hey, it's just me and Jesus, I still obey him. That's critical. The greatest way to measure your spiritual maturity is not by what you do in front of people. It's what you do when people are not looking. I use this sports uh, uh, illustration. Um, you know, it, when you find an athlete who's really competitive at their sport, and they're, they're, whether it's basketball, baseball, you know, volleyball, um, soccer, whatever it might be, football, what you see is that there seems to be these athletes that elevate their game above other people. And you wonder, is it just natural talent? Because, you, you, know, you know, that's a part of it potentially. But the other part of it is it's just a work ethic that's unusual. You have two athletes that are just as equally as athletic. And one decides they're going to put work in beyond all of the other work that the team does. All of a sudden, what you see is there's this distance. There's this gap between those two players that are equal athletically. They're just different in the way that they compete. And here is why that's the case. Both of them maybe care about their sport. Both of them put in work in their sport, but one of them will go to practice early and leave late. The other one just shows up when everybody else does. But that little extra work when no one else looking it makes a big difference when everybody is looking, right? I, one of my, my favorite people in our church is Caleb Carr. Caleb has become a good friend. He, was, he grew up in this church, and uh, he's a... Uh, um, been, been a basketball coach for my, my oldest daughter for a number of years. He's been a, a mentor to her, and, and he's been a kind of a, a mental coach. He does it a lot for a lot of teams around here. But one of the things that he, he said repeatedly to, to students, you can put the quote back up here now. Um, here's what Caleb says. He says, the work you put in, this is him talking to athletes, the work you put in uh, at the gym when the stands are empty is way more important than what you do when the stands are full. Now, athletically speaking, I love this. What he's simply saying to athletes is, look, look, you, you, you really want to know the difference between you and everyone else? It's not what you do when the stands are full. It's what you do when the, when the, when the stands are empty because that's what's going to determine what you do when the stands are full. Does that make sense, athletically speaking? Now, spiritually, I love this even more. What you do when you're with your people, when you're at church, when you're leading your life group, when you're on that mission trip, whether you're like me, you're preaching on the stage, what you do when you're on whatever platform you're on is important. But what's more important is what you do when you're not on that platform. Because what you do when you're not on the platform really defines who you are when you're on the platform. And if you've ever seen men and women be used by God in great ways, it's not what they do when the stands are full, it's what they do when the stands are empty that matters. Every mighty man or woman of God has ever been used by God in great ways who's accelerated in their, in their growth in Christ. And we see them maybe teaching God's word or quoting scripture or walking someone through a situation. And man, it just looks like they're so godly. I'm telling you, more than that situation, there were hours on their knees alone with the Lord with their Bible open, spending time when no one else was looking. There were subtle moments of obedience in their life that you maybe you didn't know about in their life that led to that moment for them to be able to do that thing that we admire. Listen to me. 
you really want to grow in your in obedience to the Lord, really grow in your, in your relationship with the Lord and look more like him, begin to walk in obedience in the secret parts of your life. You know what's going to make or break you as a disciple? Not whether you came to church this morning, but whether you get up in the morning and open your Bible. Whether when the Holy Spirit says to you in that moment, hey, you need to share your faith with that, that coworker, and no one knows that the Holy Spirit said it to you, only you know. If you disobey, no one else knows, and you obey the Holy Spirit in that moment, and you share your faith. No one could, you could always cover it up, but listen, you know, and the Holy Spirit knows, and that act of obedience, listen, eventually builds more obedience into your life where maturity takes place over a time of small obedience acts in your life over a period of time. Does that make sense? consistently obey. Here's number two. Number two is this. Actively rely on God's spirit. Actively rely on God's spirit. Look what he says in verse 12b. Very end of verse verse 12. He says this. He says, work out your own self. He says, Let's go ahead and read the whole thing then. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I want you to notice something here in, in, this, in this passage. He says, with fear and trembling. So what in the world does he mean when he says by f- with fear and trembling? And he doesn't mean that we're terrified of God or that we're, we're running from God. What he simply means is that being, being with fear and trembling is the idea of standing in awe of God's presence in our life. It's recognizing his work in our life, his presence in our life, and it's humbling ourselves before him. You will never grow in your relationship with Jesus until you stand in awe of Jesus. As long as Jesus is small in your life, and you don't recognize his activity and presence, you're gonna be where you are spiritually. But the more you live with a holy fear of reverence and awe of Jesus, the more you're gonna submit to him for him to do his work inside of your life. So how do we know this is that? That's what it means in regards to God's presence in our life. Look what he says in verse number 13. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Now, now don't miss this. I want to unpack this so we can understand it. What is, the, what is the imperative of the passage? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? You may say, uh-huh. Work out. Work out your salvation. There's work for you to do. But then he turns around in verse 13, and he says, for. That word for could be translated because. Hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you. Now, this is critical here, and this is liberating. This is, this is life-transforming if you'll embrace what he's saying here. Your working is not you working in isolation or on your own, in your own power and effort. Your working is joining a work that's already in progress, not that you're doing it, but he's doing it through you. It's recognizing the activity of God in our, our life. The word work here is a, is a Greek word, Energon, that means energy. It means, um, the word means empower or give what is necessary. So it is God who empowers, who energizes you. So you work, but your work is only joining in the work that God is already doing in your life. I love this because Paul is simply saying, you are invited to participate in the activity of God in your life. And that is how spiritual growth happens. I want you to be reminded of what Paul says in Philippians chapter one, 
Philippians chapter one, Paul says this. He says, and I'm sure of this, I'm confident in this, that he, this is reference to God, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, eyes right here for a second. I want us to go back to this verse because this is gonna help verse 12 and 13 make sense. Paul says here, I'm sure of this, that God who started a work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Mental image right here. For every Christian, there is a moment of salvation, right? If you're a Christian, there was a moment of new life, new birth. You were born again. You were made alive. You were a new creation. All of those descriptive words the Bible gives that defines you are not who you were. You are a new person in Christ. Amen? Now, what Paul is saying is this new work that began is a work that God has started in your life. Now, did you participate? Yes, by surrendering by faith and embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the work he did for you, all you do is receive the work that he's given you, amen? So this new life begins. Now, fast forward to the very end, there is an inevitable day for every single person in this room. There will be a day where either you will die or you will be raptured up by Jesus one day, all right? So there's a day coming when this life will be over, either in Jesus' return or your death. And here's what Paul says. There's a work that Jesus started the day that you were spiritually made alive. There's a work that he started. And on that day, when you die or when Jesus comes, there is gonna be a full completion of the work that he started. He's gonna say, it's finished, it's done. And on that day, you'll be fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All your sin and and pain, everything will be completely stripped away and you will be forever, forever, forever in the full likeness of Jesus. Anybody longing that day? Now, watch this. What Paul says God started something and he will complete something. And the same God that started the something and will complete the something is the same God at work in your life in the space between. Like he's, he's at work in your life. You realize as a believer, God is always at work in your life. He started something He will complete it. And that space in between called the Christian life, this space is a journey of discipleship where we're being transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus, that we are becoming more and more like him. And it is his work inside of us that he is always working in our lives. And you say, well, wait a second. If he's always working in our life, then how come I'm in a a season of dryness where I'm not seeing his work in my life? Is it possible that he's working, but you're not working with him? Is it possible that he's active in your life, but you're not participating with his activity? And this is what Paul is saying. He's listen, the reason I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, yes, you have a part to play. There is work for you to do, but that work that you do is only participating with the work that God is already doing in your life. And as we surrender to him and his spirit in our life, and this is the reference here, for God is at work in you. How is God at work in us? It's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the more that we rely on the Holy Spirit, the more that we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the more that we're conformed to the image of Christ. The moments where we are resistant to the Holy Spirit, God is at work, but we're being resistant to the work. Therefore, we come to a standstill in our spiritual growth and maturity. You tracking with me? This is so important. I love what Gordon Fee says about this. He he writes this about this, um, this idea of work. 
He says the verb work does not so much mean that God is doing it for them or us, but that God supplies the necessary empowering. Their obedience is ultimately something God affects in among them. Not only does God empower their doing, don't miss this, but also their willing that lies behind their doing. I'm gonna show you what I mean here. I want you to look back at verse 13. Look back at verse 13 in your text. So this work that he's doing, this empowering he's doing, what is this producing? What is the work that God is doing producing? Here's what he says. He says both, everybody say both. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing and it's so helpful. This is where we see true spiritual transformation. Now, we could, he, we, Paul could have said it like this and it would have been incomplete. He could have said it like this. For it is God who works in you to work for his good pleasure. But is that what he says? No, it's not what he says. He says, for it's God who works in you to will. What is will? That's want, to desire, to have a passion for, to yearn. That's what the idea of will is, to will and to work. That's what we do. So listen to this. What the transforming power of the gospel, this, is, this, is, this will, will set you free if you'll tap into what God has for us here. Listen, God is at work in your life and he doesn't want just to change your, uh, your activity. He wants to change your heart. He doesn't want just to change what you do. He wants to change what you desire. You see, the, the problem with most of us, the reason we get exhausted in our journey of discipleship, because most Christians only wanna focus on what we do. We only focus on, I gotta stop this, I gotta stop this, I gotta stop this, I gotta start this and do more of this and go on this trip and get involved with this and we only focus on the do and here's what happens. We get tired and exhausted because we're not really looking at what the gospel wants to produce. It's not just changing of our, of our, of our actions, it's a changing of our hearts that leads to a change in our actions. So relying on the Holy Spirit isn't you trying harder to do the things that God wants you to do. It's resting more in the energy and the power that he has for you so that he can transform the fundamental problem. You see, we want, as humans, we wanna address the symptom. We don't wanna address the cause. The reason we don't do is because our will is broken. And it's just, let me help you. There's not a religion on the planet that can help you with this. Only thing religion can do is the work. Religion can tell you to do more and try harder. And by the way, listen, if you want external modification to your behavior, religion is a great place for you. Because religion can really help you. You can play by the rules and do your deal and I can, I can, I can make sure I go here, do this, try this, stop this, and, and that's all great. But here's the problem with that. You can only do that long enough and here's one of two things are gonna happen. You're gonna get exhausted and tired and quit or you become self-righteous and condemning of others. I, 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 that's what's gonna happen in your life. You're either gonna be condemning of others around you or you're gonna get, you're gonna get tired and exhausted and you're gonna quit and here's why. Go back to that, that verse again. Because religion can change this but it can never change this. And this is why the gospel is so powerful. You see, when Jesus comes inside of us, he gives us a new heart and he gives us a new desire and he puts his spirit within us. And now as he works in us and we surrender in obedience to him, our will is conformed to his will, which then changes our work to his work. 
Jesus would say it like this. He says, the problem with the Pharisees is that you're so busy cleaning the outside of the bowl and you pay no attention to the inside of the bowl. You look, hey, look at my bowl. And then when someone looks in, they're like, yeah, but it's still filthy on the inside. But yeah, it doesn't look great on the outside. What does Jesus say is the solution? Hey, why don't you clean the inside of the bowl? Because if you clean the inside of the bowl, then the outside of the bowl will be clean as well. And this is what Jesus wants to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to clean the inside of the bowl so that the outside of the bowl will be clean as well. Can I just tell you, I can, I can do and work and my want will never change. But if I let the Holy Spirit change my want, my work will also change. And this, for some of you, this, is, this probably for many of you answers the question, why am I so tired spiritually and ready to quit? It may be because you're so focused on this, you're not submitting to the will and, and your desires being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you're trying to work from outside in, it fails. When you work from the inside out, Jesus always wins. This is why, church, we've gotta be men and women of prayer. Prayer is essential. Listen, the presence of God is essential in the life of a believer. Amen? So this, this, this process, it can't. God's work in us is, is a supernatural work. Discipleship is a supernatural work. You can't do supernatural work in the flesh. You've gotta do supernatural work with supernatural power. Prayer is the primary means by which we, we are able to walk in the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So what is prayer? Prayer is you coming to the end of you and saying, I can't, you can. It's, all, it's the ultimate declaration of dependence. So if we're not men and women of prayer, and this is both personally and corporately, we'll never become the men and women or the church that Jesus wants us to become. It demands that we are surrendered to him. Let me just unpack it for you like this. My own personal walk is a, is a testimony to this. I can tell you the times in my life where my will was transforming and leading to my, my transformed work, I can tell you that that's been times where I've been in the word of God. I love what Robbie Gallaty says. We gotta get into the word until the word gets into us. I've been in the word of God and I've been on my knees consistently praying and surrendering myself to the Holy Spirit. But I can also tell you this, the times in my life where spiritual growth has been at a standstill, I can, I can look back every time and tell you there's two things that are happening. Number one, I'm not in the word and I'm not spending time in prayer. And I'm just gonna tell you, I, like, I, there's, I said there's no microwave approach to uh, discipleship. You will not grow as a disciple of Jesus until you get into the word and you will also not grow as a disciple of Christ until you get on your face before the Lord in prayer consistently. Prayer is the means by which we move from the natural to the supernatural and depend upon a power that we don't have in ourselves apart from him. And listen, but when we do that, there's, there's spiritual victory. I'm gonna share a verse with you that I think is, is, is transforming for me. In Galatians chapter five, verse 16, I'm gonna tell you the backdrop of this verse. This is where my life has been transformed when we think about this will versus uh, moving me to a work, like it's my desires changing to my actions changing. The, the context of this is Paul is describing the Christian life. Now, eyes right here for a second. He says this, every Christian has two appetites and two wills. The first appetite and the will is the flesh that yearns against the things of God. 
The other appetite and will is the Holy Spirit who yearns to transform you into the likeness of Christ. He says every Christian has those, those appetites and wills in their life. You got an appetite for the flesh that desires sinful things and you got an appetite for the spirit because the spirit is inside of you that de- desires uh, godly things and you've got this will that wants to go with the flesh, a will that wants to go with what God's word says and they're constantly, Paul says, and they're fighting, they're in a complete tension. You ever feel that? I want, I want to encourage you and discourage you all at the same time. All right, so I'm gonna discourage you and say that fight is never going away. Not until we are completed when Christ returns. There will always be those two appetites in your life. There will always be those two wills in your life trying to fight for your affection. Always. Until Christ returns. Here's the encouragement. You're not in this alone. And then in Christ, you can't have victory. And here's what I mean. So Paul says this. He says, you got this war going inside of you, but I say, Walk by the Spirit. The word walk there is live by, abide in, submit to. Walk by the Spirit and you will, what's the word? Say it with conviction, you will. Would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you hear the promise here, believer? You've got the two natures inside of you. They're warring for one another, or your affection rather. They're warring for your obedience. The flesh to sinful things, the spirit to godly things. And he says, listen, but I say to you, walk by the spirit, submit to the spirit, live in the spirit. When those tensions come, when that fighting is inside of you, gets real, walk by the spirit. And here's the promise, you will not gratify. The word, this idea here, it's it's emphatic. The picture is, you will not never under any circumstances will you ever gratify the desires of the sinful nature nature or the flesh. Do you hear what he's saying here? Victory is possible for the Christian. It is, it is possible for us to say no. And I can tell you the moments in my life where the flesh rises up and there's appetites for the things that I shouldn't say, shouldn't think about, shouldn't look at. And those appetites come. The moments that I submit to the spirit of God, I get victory 100% of the time. But then there are moments whenever I have those moments and I'd say no to the spirit and guess what? The flesh wins every single time. Can I tell you, every single time in my heart, every time I'm tempted with sin, the Holy Spirit quickly says to me, that's not for you. That's not who you are. That's not where you belong. That's not the language, that's not the thought, that's not the action or attitude. I mean, the Holy Spirit is very quick to say, that's not best for you. Every time I go, yes, you're right, I submit, I have victory. But more often than I would like to admit, there are times when I ignore the Holy Spirit and I choose the flesh. And I willfully choose this rather than submitting to him. Now, I I was right here for a second because this is a different level of accountability. It's a different level of confession. You see, when you begin to look at your Christian life as victory has been given to you, victory is available to you, but you've got to walk by the Spirit in order to walk in that victory, but you have a choice in the matter. Listen, this, this, this stops putting sugar on your sin to make it taste better. And it puts you in the reality of the decisions you've made. 
So I move in those moments. When I recognize that, I have to get before the Lord. When I recognize the power and authority that I have by the Spirit to say no to the flesh, then I have to get honest with the Lord and say, God, your Spirit told me not to, and I said no. Your Spirit said that I should, and I I didn't obey the Spirit, and I willfully chose to walk in something that Jesus died to free me from. That's a whole nother confession. All of a sudden, my sin becomes really, really bitter. Because I have to come to the reality that I can't just go and say, oh man, the flesh got the best of me and I really tried hard. I'll try to do better next time. That's me trying to cover up the depth of my sin. But when I recognize the authority of the Holy Spirit is inside of me and he's given me the power that I need. And when I walk in him, I won't walk in the flesh. Then I have to come to the realization when I walk in the flesh, I chose sin over the Savior. And that's gut-wrenching. That's gut-wrenching because I have to come to the realization that in that moment, I loved that more than I loved him. And I can't just say the devil made me do it because the spirit of God is greater than the enemy. I've got to acknowledge it for what it was. I chose the things that Jesus died for over Jesus in that moment. It changes the way you deal with sin. Amen? Man, what what victory does it give us? You will not gratify if you walk by the Spirit. This is why time in the Word, relying on the Holy Spirit is essential. And this is number three. Write this down. This one's very simple. Humbly walk with God's people. Humbly walk with God's people. Now, don't miss this. This entire passage in Philippians, Paul has been dealing not just with individual Christians, but with the church. The uh, church plural, like the body of Christ, the local church. So we can't just read these passages and go, oh yeah, my own personal discipleship because here's what we do in, in our American condition way of thinking is that we, we make it all about us. My discipleship journey and my spirituality. And listen, we gotta recognize this is not just about me and Jesus, it's about us and Jesus and that's the point Paul is making. So yes, you are responsible to grow as a disciple, but listen, we are responsible to grow together. And by the way, you will never grow as a disciple unless you're growing with the we, unless you're growing with us. And this is the point that Paul is making. I'm gonna show you in the text. Look what he says here in verse number 12 again. He says, therefore, my beloved. So beloved is, he's talking to the church. So everything he says after is not to just individual Christians, but to the local church. Amen, you with me? Then he says this, as you, by the way, in the original language, you is plural, as y'all in Texas, have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your, your is plural. It's you all, your, all of you, your salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse number 13. For it is God who works in, again, plural, y'all, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now what's the point? Paul is saying, this is not about you and your own personal walk with Jesus. It's about us together collectively as the body of believers. We need one another. We need to walk with one another. The whole context of this passage, if you go back up to chapter two, we're not gonna read it all, but the chapter two, what is Paul saying? Hey, listen, if there's any, any affection for me, if you have any sincerity in Christ, then, then do this. Man, have the same mind. 
Don't be selfish and have ambitions that put others down. Stop looking out for yourself. Look out for the interests of others. He's talking about walking with one another in brotherly love, in, in the love of Christ with one another, treating each other as more important than ourselves. And then what does he do? He says, so if you don't know what that looks like, let me give you the example. And he says, it's like Jesus when he took off the robe of glory and put on the flesh and he lived as a servant and he died in our place and was resurrected, therefore exalted. What he's saying is, is that I want you to mature in Christ. And one of the evidences that you're maturing in Christ is the way that you love and treat one another. So he says, so if discipleship is the journey of becoming more like Jesus, Paul says, have the mind of Christ. Now, where's the mind of Christ revealed in the text? It's in how you love one another. So listen, it doesn't matter how many verses of scripture you have memorized, how long you've been in church. If you're not doing life with other believers where you are growing in your ability to love those who are hard to love and being patient and kind and gentle, this is the reason in church, we're guilty of this, this is the reason in church, even in the, in the, in the local church, we try to surround ourselves with people who are just like us. They think like us, they talk like us, they have the same interests as us, they have the same worldviews, everything is like us. Let me tell you why we like to do that. I think the greatest reason is, is that it's easy to love people like that because those people look like us. And at the end of the day, you gotta ask yourself the question, do you really love them or do you love you that you see in them? Because I get to stay where I am if I stay with people who are just like me. But as I engage for the long, that's why being part of a local church for a long period of time and doing life with a number of people is so critical because what you're gonna do is you're gonna end up in relationship with people who are not just like you. They don't have the same hobbies, interests, thoughts, and, and way that they process life. And what's gonna happen is, is that you're gonna learn a lot about you and a lot about them and you get to grow together. You get to grow together. Like, like can I just tell you, I've been doing a lot of woodworking at, at the at my house and one of the things I'm learning about woodworking is, is having, going through the process of sanding the, the, the furniture before the final product is you know, finished. You know? Like it's important to do that process because the way, it's, it's, it, the, the way it turns out is gonna be much better if you go through, and listen, sanding is a long, hard, sweaty, dirty process. I mean, you're just sandpaper on the wood, hitting the rough spots until the rough stop, spots become um, smooth and the more rough the timber, the harder it is to get to that smooth place. You, you with me? And what I'm learning as I'm doing that is like sometimes you gotta have 150 grit sandpaper, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's rough because the wood is rough and it takes a lot of, of work. And then as it gets smoother, there's a little finer, like you get the 300 uh, grit, then you get to the 400 grit and the 600 grit. And eventually you're just kind of taking any of the fine little areas and you're smoothing them out. It's a real delicate process. And here's the thing, in the Christian life, it's the same way. Listen, you need some 150 grit people in your life. And typically, when you're talking about how rough they are, it's because there's some rough spots in you. Jesus is trying to use them to knock off. And there are seasons in my life where I need some really close friends that can see the little flaws in my life, that they're in such proximity, that they're the fine sanding that are just coming in going, I know everything looks really great, and there's other people that don't see these things, but I mean, I'm walking in such proximity with people that they're able to just fine sand my spiritual life down. You need that as well. You say, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I got any 150 grit people in my life. It's probably because you're that in somebody else's life. 
but we need one another. We were never called to walk in isolation. We were called to walk with one another. That's why Paul says, look what he says in verse 15, or verse 14 rather. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I love this. What does all things mean? I think it's a reference to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Discipleship is ugly and it's sometimes messy and oftentimes there's conflict. So he's saying to them, look, as you're taking this journey together, there's gonna be a reason for grumbling and complaining. I was like, I wonder why in the world would Paul put that? And here's why I believe, this is not a theological reason. I think he knew one day there was gonna be this thing called the Baptist church. And he knew we are gonna have an extra special measure of this and this. No, here's what he's saying. I think why he's saying this is because he's going, look, as you do life together, you're gonna annoy one another and you're gonna rub each other the wrong way. But in this journey of becoming like me, you need one another because in this process of butting heads and working through conflict and having sin called out and revealing things in your heart that you didn't know were there, I'm, I'm doing a work. And notice the impact that he says. I want you to see this. What happens when we take this journey together? Number one, here's the impact that we can make in the world. We display the glory of Jesus. When we do this, we display the glory of Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Look what he says in verse 15. He says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like stars or like lights in the world. What is he saying here? He says, look, as you become more like Jesus, the world is gonna see Jesus in you and here's what's gonna happen. You will then shine as lights in the world. Now notice the description of the world in a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, the world is broken and dark. How many of you would say amen to, that pretty much sums up the world we live in today. I've never seen this last week. It was, it was fascinating to me how many people were violently angry over the decision that we would give an opportunity for babies to live. Like violently angry over the decision for life to be possible for those who are most def defenseless in our society and our culture. Let me tell you something. I, with all love and respect to anyone in this room, listen, that's crooked and that's twisted. But can I help you? That's the world God's called us to shine the light of the gospel in. This is the world that God has called us to shine the light of the gospel in. And what we've gotta do is be so transformed the image of God so that they see the light of Jesus in our life. See, Jesus is the light of the world. The light of the world is now shown upon us through salvation and now we get to reflect that light into the life of others. Does that make sense? So let me illustrate like this. How many of you ever gotten out of the shower and your, your, your mirror in the bathroom was just completely foggy where you couldn't see your own reflection? Anybody experienced that? So what do you do when you, get, you, what, you take a towel or something and you begin to wipe off the mirror? Well, if your mirror is like my mirror, you wipe it off and it's, you still can't see. There's still a residue and there's little water bubbles now dripping off of, the, off of the mirror. But after you rub it a little more and you may put a blow dryer on it, you give it a little time, all of a sudden the water begins to go away, the fog begins to lift and then you begin to see clearly the image that is there. But it's a process of wiping and cleaning up the image. Now here's the thing. When I'm looking into that mirror that's full of, uh, covered with fog and I'm wiping it off, it's not that the original image is distorted. It's that the reflection of that image in the mirror is distorted. And it's the process of wiping off the mirror where then the original image can be seen clearly and reflected as it's supposed to be. Now, now eyes right here for a second. 
The process of discipleship is the process of the Holy Spirit wiping the mirror in your life so that the reflection of the image of Jesus might be shown from you into the life of the world. As you become more like Jesus, the more you shine and display his glory. Here's the last impact that we make is we declare the gospel of Jesus. So we not only shine the glory of Jesus, display the glory of Jesus, we declare the gospel of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. What does it mean to hold fast to the word of life? Word of life is a reference to God's word, to the gospel. Holding fast is the idea of holding up high to proclaim, to declare. It's not just, I'm gonna keep God's word. It's that I'm gonna give God's word. So, So check this out. When we become more like Jesus, you shine the light of the gospel and you share the good news of the gospel. You, you, you not only do you shine and declare the glory of God, but, but then you, you display the glory of God in a way that gives you a platform to tell people how they too can be transformed. You see, it's not enough for Christians to just be distinct in the world. I'm gonna shine like a star and I'm gonna stand out and I'm gonna be distinct in the world. It's not just about being distinct in the world. It's about being distinct in the way that gives you a platform to give a declaration of what makes you distinct in the world, which is Jesus himself. So that we would be able to engage and encounter the world around us with the love of Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when we, when we get serious about discipleship, through actively and consistently obeying God's word, to actively relying on the Holy Spirit and humbly walking with other believers, listen to me, your life will be so transformed that here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna notice Jesus in you and then you're gonna have the opportunity to say, hey, let me tell you about the one that's changed me. You're able to say to them, hey, it's not me, it's him. And this is the impact that we make in the world around us. Amen? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna have a very simple invitation. Invitation is twofold. Number one, if you don't know that you're a disciple, if you don't know that you've ever been transformed, you can, you can be saved today. You can be transformed today. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna sing just for a moment. And I'm gonna invite you to leave your seat. Come find one of our volunteers that'll be standing. And I just want you to say this to him. If you're uncertain of your relationship with Jesus, but you want one, just say this. I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I want to be. And they will begin a process of walking with you in, in, in praying and receiving Christ today. Others of you, this might be just a good, good day for you to stay in your seat and just reflect. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I growing? Is my life defined by consistent obedience? by an act of relying on the Holy Spirit, am I humbly walking with other believers? Reflect on that and ask yourself the question, am I shining and am I sharing? So just reflect on what God's word has said and just make the decision today. God, I know you're at work in my life and I wanna work with your working. And I wanna, I wanna step in, in, into this, this place of discipleship and I wanna grow. Just confess that to him. Father, we leave this time to you. Take your word, embed it into our heart, make us new and transform us who have been made new. We ask this in Jesus' name.